Hello, and welcome to the KPMG podcast series for tax, legal, and mobility leaders. This podcast mini-series focuses on the ongoing global impacts of COVID-19 by looking at the tax, legal, and mobility considerations and top-of-mind business issues that have resulted from this global situation. In today's episode, we spoke with leading KPMG professionals, Andrew Weir, Global Head, Asset Management, KPMG International, and Regional Senior Partner and Vice Chairman, KPMG China and David Neuenhaus, Global Head, Asset Management Tax, KPMG International, and partner, KPMG in the US. We asked Andrew and David to share their insights on the impact that COVID-19 is having on the asset management industry at the investor, fund, and portfolio company level. And we also discussed the impact COVID-19 is having on current investment trends, financial opportunities and hurdles, business and strategy impacts, and what to anticipate moving forward. Andrew and David, thank you for joining me on the phone today. Hey, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Andrew, I'd like to start with you. Could you give us an overview of where we are and where we're heading in the world of asset management? I think we're at a very interesting stage uh, in asset management. I think even before the crisis, uh, asset management was approaching uh, a bit of a crossroads, particularly, of course, in the context of a relatively low yield environment. I think what coronavirus has done um, is, like in every sector, it will reinforce those forces of change and will act as a catalyst for change uh, in the sectors. I I think probably uh, some of the key things one needs to think about is really the role of technology. Everything from how one uses technology as an asset manager and an investment manager through to how one runs one's operations, how one data mines, through to actually the impact of technology and digitalization on the underlying investee companies. So I think it's it's a very interesting time. I think it would take time for the dust to settle as to where the uh, asset management industry will end up. But I think it's fair to say it's at a very interesting inflection point and the situation is very dynamic. And David, what are the challenges and concerns the industry is managing through at the moment? And are businesses seeing any potential opportunities in the future? The first challenge was just business continuity and the ability for funds to stay uh, in in contact internally, the the health and welfare of their workforce, the ability to to meet the, the required deadlines for the different stakeholders. Then it moved on from that towards considerations of uh, liquidity and solvency, and I think that's where we are from a sort of a initial reaction to where are we today, and what we expect to see coming next is sort of what are the opportunities um, in the market that uh, that the, the, the on the back of the health challenge are going to be some financial challenges and financial opportunities, and what do we expect that to look like? And we're seeing that being first category of the, the, the first, let's just all be safe. We saw lots of continuity across our clients in that regard. But we start to see a little bit of separation by by the investors in terms of what their long-term view and perspective is as we start to go down and, and focus on those um, economic challenges and now into what, what comes next kind of viewpoints. Andrew, you're based in Hong Kong. Could you tell us how business is currently progressing in both Hong Kong as well as in mainland China? It's very interesting being based in Hong Kong and being part of a greater China organization. Of course, after Chinese New Year, what was first a local uh, issue in Wuhan then became a national issue in China. Then first stop after that was Hong Kong. Uh, So Hong Kong and the mainland China really were the epicenter. 
and for this to have morphed from being a local and regional matter into a global matter has been uh, obviously absolutely terrible, but also a fascinating development. Maybe I could just reflect that in China, uh, the vast majority of the country is back at work. It is different province by province, but overall the economy is recovering on the back of domestic demand and domestic spending. And there has not yet been a very, very large fiscal stimulus uh, from the government. And as yet, of course, the international MNC activity, be it directly in China itself or through the global supply chains, that really has been quite significantly disrupted. And the full effect of that coming through hasn't yet been seen. So I would caution uh, if one reads in the newspapers and believes that there's a full recovery in place in this part of the world. Regarding Hong Kong, it's very, very difficult. There's a recognition that Hong Kong as an IFC, an international finance center, is much more uh, subject to the very heavy winds of global trade, any changes in pattern of trade, and also, of course, the global recession. So it's still very, very early days. Certain countries are still in resilience mode as opposed to recovery mode, and there's recognition that the recovery will be a longer and more uh, restricted recovery than initially thought. David, how is the COVID-19 situation affecting market valuations and what are you hearing from asset management clients? The immediate impact on, on COVID in terms of just volatility uh, was that valuations uh, plummeted and people weren't really sure how far down they would go. So there was a lot of concern in relation to our clients in terms of pipeline deals of what the appropriate valuation ought to be and how they could support that for immediate transactions and, and what things would look like into the future. Um, so only time will tell in terms of what the future holds. But as we're recording the, the podcast now, um, it, things seem to have at least settled down a bit. Not to say that tomorrow won't be different. Every day seems to have its, its own surprises. But the valuation issues have, have settled. The question is now if they'll sort of climb back to where they were. Um, but but in, in all of this, there is a silver lining in that we've seen a number of our asset management clients sort of hesitate. They had dry powder, but they thought valuations had got a bit frothy. Um, they certainly have come down. So we do expect that to um, provide some opportunity for some of the investors. But it really gets back to the earlier point in terms of what the viewpoint is of each organization in terms of long term. You know, is this, is this a good time to move in or will, will tomorrow hold some bad news and valuations will move back down? But, but it, it's helped overall in terms of the frothiness of the valuations, but still a bit of hesitation in the market to, uh, to act on that. Andrew, what does all this mean from a business perspective? What conversations are you having with clients right now? The conversations we've had with our global clients and clients locally has been obviously first about business continuity planning and about how practical and pragmatic that needs to be and the importance of stakeholder management, communication, uh, marshalling of resources, etc., etc. And this, again, has given rise to this advent of technology and digitalization. The second uh, item of discussion has been liquidity. And I think it's worth noting that, particularly out in Asia, uh, there is not really that high gearing compared to the global financial crisis 10 years ago. However, liquidity is a challenge in terms of cash flow analysis, looking at loan facilities, pulling down on existing loan facilities, and looking for new loan facilities. 
And this has been a very important modeling exercise we've been doing for many of our clients. Really, the scenario planning on steroids is how I'd describe it. But what may be interesting to people listening in is back in February and March, assumptions on the duration and severity of the virus turned out to be very optimistic. And this agility in how one looks at business modeling and different scenarios and sensitivity is super, super important. With that has become a lot more analysis of what truly is core business, what's non-core business. And all of this, of course, is in a backdrop that there isn't a never-ending supply of capital. Yes, there's a lot of dry powder out there. And although banks are broadly under influence not to call in loans and to provide liquidity, there are restrictions. And I think one's getting quite close to the stage now where the ability of banks to carry on lending uh, is very questionable. And what does this mean in the area of investments, especially in terms of rate of returns, interest rates and discount rates? I think what's very, very clear is the intervention of governments uh, in nearly all economies will have uh, a supportive effect in the short term, but probably more of a disruptive effect in the medium term. So what does that mean really for investment? It is very, very hard to call at the moment. And the question mark I still have, and uh, I'm afraid I won't give too much answers today, is let's monitor hugely carefully what this means for discount rates and then, for example, in the real estate world, uh, cap rates and what it means for when doing business valuations. When you've got negative interest rates, and recently you saw in Europe, uh, and negative interest rates on bonds being issued by government. What does this mean for the risk-free rate of return, which is the basis of all capital market uh, judgments? So I think we're still waiting to see how the financial system would digest all of this change. But the areas to particularly look out for are, are patterns of demand that to be truly reflecting the reality of demand as opposed to supported. And secondly, what really is the right discount rate or cap rate to use when doing business decisions. I think the reality of this is basically looking at ranges, not rushing, and taking a very measured view and making sure investment committees operate properly and consider all eventualities is absolutely key. Thanks, Andrew. David, Andrew mentioned the challenge around liquidity, and there's been a number of tax measures put in place to help organisations manage liquidity. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so the tax measures are allowing the organisations to keep more of their cash, to service more of their immediate uh, obligations, so whether they're obligations on on loans, whether they're obligations from an employee sort of payment perspective. Um, So it, it, it allowed companies to make delay the payments, for instance. It allows companies to potentially accelerate the uh, ability to offset their income with certain tax depreciation, tax yield, and to uh, accelerate the utilization of losses. They're sort of the the baskets that we're seeing um, with different stimulus packages around the world. Um, The the long-term impact that is going to be some of the uh, structures to utilize some of these tax rules um, are, are longer term. So they are, in fact, the restructuring of uh, different holding company structures, different assets that are held. So um, it's accelerating the use of losses, which means in the future there will, there will be less access to that. But, but on the net, it's, it's typically beneficial to utilize losses early on from a, uh, just from a time value of money perspective. 
So, um, and, and the other point is that a lot of the provisions are temporary, so it's, it's not clear if these temporary provisions get extended as sometimes happens or if they really are just a window for a year or two. Um, and so as, as organizations try to take advantage of, of some of these provisions, they need to keep in mind that um, the window may be limited. And after that two-year period ends, if these provisions go away, they'll, they'll be back to uh, some new rules, and, and it's never exactly clear exactly what they look like. So um, any kind of restructuring has to take into account the uncertainty that's going to follow the, the relief provisions that we have now to help with the liquidity challenges. Thanks, David. Andrew, we're hearing leading scientists expect a second wave of the virus in September 2020 and potentially similar outbreaks to happen in the near future. So with that in mind, what should organisations be considering? I think the question of second or third waves or recurring uh, waves is a very important one. And I, I think the key on this then is building into all of one's business operations basically mitigation of the risk be it a supply chain, where I think we can honestly say global and regional supply chains previously had very little buffer in them. I think moving forward, there clearly would need to be buffer. When doing our budgets, when looking at growth, surely we'd have to revisit now this never-ending uh, uptake in growth all of our budgets uh, and investment propositions are considering and maybe reflect on, right, it's a period of consolidation. It's a period of cash and profit preservation. I think what will also uh, be very important is this, as the relationship between shareholders, management, staff, and uh, regulators is going to be very, very important. And increasingly, the pressure is going to be on organizations to demonstrate as an employer, what are they doing to look after uh, their staff and retain employment. So I think there's a lot to think about on this, but the key is agility. And I think, you know, in the investment management world, asset management, real estate, are the right people involved in these discussions? Are we thinking the unthinkable? When doing scenario planning, are we really thinking of all aspects? And I would just encourage everybody to have a very, very broad, holistic look at this because I think the situation would take a long time to resolve itself and will require considerable agility. Thanks, Andrew. I'd like to now move the conversation around to the future and trends in business. So, David, how are you seeing asset managers tackle decisions when thinking about portfolio value creation? We're seeing deal teams um, spend more time and organisations spend more time on improving the value of their existing portfolio companies rather than looking to the next the next investment. And, you know, with the new stimulus packages that are coming out around the world, there is a lot of opportunity for companies that focus on, on their portfolio companies, their challenges and the stimulus packages, and, and even beyond longer term to bring more value to that portfolio company since deal flow has, has really slowed down. So there are opportunities uh, and and the, the most sophisticated organizations certainly are spending a lot of time on the portfolio value activities um, during this period. Andrew, in a previous episode of this podcast series, Louis Liu, head of tax at KPMG China, mentioned pipelines and revenue projects are starting to come back. Would you agree? What green shoots are you seeing from an economic and business standpoint? I think there are definitely um, good signs of recovery uh, in China, definitely. The, the pipeline is still reasonable in Hong Kong. 
but I think it's fair to say China, uh, mainland China, is further uh, along the line. Uh, what type of uh, things are we seeing? Um, interestingly, uh, IPOs, uh, capital market transactions, not deals so much as one would expect, not yet, uh, but capital market transactions, rationalization of businesses. Interestingly, privatizations have become quite attractive. And there's a lot of actual work with regard to government uh, subsidies, uh, tax planning, and but the most important area for us has been digital transformation. Organizations are saying, let's accelerate our transformation of our organization and take advantage of this. I think there's another couple of interesting things which are coming out. China really has a remarkable track record on developing technology. And one's seeing a real take-up in um, interesting technology and data-driven products in, in real estate. So I'm starting to see things come through. Uh, two things I just caution again, it's largely on the back of domestic demand. There's a high savings rate in China, there's a high wealth effect. One of the biggest driving forces in China, Asia and the world is the, is the mainland Chinese middle class. They are spending again. Um, and as I said, they have financial uh, capacity. Banks are lending. So the fair question would be, how far can a largely domestic-driven recovery go? And this knock-on effect of what's happening globally um, and what's happening in global supply chains and how multinational companies are behaving, given all the pressures back in their home offices, I, I think is going to be quite a significant uh, challenge uh, as we move forward. David, the asset management industry is accustomed to bringing investors and investments together cross-border. Looking ahead, will the asset management industry be as global as it once was? We deal with funds that are based around the world, that have asset portfolios around the world, and we talk to our clients about these, these very challenges. And I will say universally, um, there is no pulling up stakes and saying we don't want to have exposure to a particular market or uh, we want to become more myopic or, or more domestic in the focus. The business community in general and asset managers who are usually uh, fairly flexible um, are, are still have a very much a, a global perspective and are still looking to invest around the world. Um, so we, ha we have not seen a slowdown in that. Andrew, looking forward, what do you see in terms of evolving government policy? What will this mean for the asset management sector? I think the two big things regarding government policy will be the uh, tax situation. How does this eventually get paid? Point number two, in this trade-off between governments, businesses, people, property owners, asset owners, I think it's fair to say it's the asset owners and the property owners who aren't getting any help. Now, a ramification of that is valuation, and a ramification of that is the knock-on effect to the real economy if there's a very significant drop in valuations. So I think before too long, there will need to be government policies which do not give rise or protect a collapse in asset values. Uh, the, the second aspect of government policy, um, I, I think, will be the obligation to look after employees and the role of business. And I think one has to read the mood music. Those organizations who are able to come up with a very proactive um, front foot narrative about the value of investment, the value of investment management, what it does for society, what employment it provides, ways in which it can 
basically aid the recovery, those organizations uh, will be in very good stead. I think the last point on, on government policy is um, disruptive effect on patterns of demand. If you're running an asset which uh, relies on a particular stream of demand, is that demand changing? If it is, to what extent is it supported or influenced by government policy? And if there is an effect, to what extent is it temporary versus permanent? And then we're back to this point I, I keep raising of what is that rate of return um, in this world where there's been so much liquidity pumped into the economy uh, by governments? I'd also say more broadly, geopolitical analysis is very, very important. A fresh look at markets one's in, a fresh look at direction of travel on things like patterns of trade, global tensions, and whether certain policies taken in certain countries during the virus mean they are going to be much more inward-looking moving forward and much more nationalistic. David, what are your insights around how the asset management space can start to rebuild for a new reality? I think as, as we look out to where things are going in, in the new reality, each organization, again, has to come to its own strategic perspective, and there's no no perfect market timing in terms of valuations, but we are starting to see points of view evolve from, from our various clients for sure. So if that's from an investment perspective, I'd say just from an operational perspective, I think some things that are, are with us for the long term are just some improvements around the operating models they have and the, the, the ability to stay connected virtually, um, the use of technology. And so we're seeing a quick adoption of technology to make the organizations more efficient with the challenges we have. And I'll say when the challenges around COVID go away, I suspect uh, clients will continue to, to, to leverage what they've learned during this period and become much more efficient in that use. So I think we'll continue to see that into the new reality. Thanks, David. And finally, Andrew, where do you anticipate seeing shifts and changes for the asset management industry as we move into the new reality? I think the biggest shift in uh, the asset management industry has got to be a massive push on sustainability and uh, environmental matters and social responsibility. Um, you can see really that there's a massive driving force from a regulator on sustainability and responsible investment. But there's another very big driving force, and that is uh, what investors want. Basically, the millennials and other generations look to see their money being deployed in a responsible way whilst getting a return, they can feel they're making a difference. And I think this is going to be a massive change. I think the second big change will come through is this balance between shareholders, employees, uh, and investors, and also the owner-managers. And that distinction between dividends and return for shareholders, wages as return for staff, bonuses as return for management, that whole equation, I, I think, is going to come under quite considerable uh, debate. And I think increasingly one's going to get into a much more holistic view of what is, what is profit, what is return, much more integrated reporting, a much more demonstration of different ways in which an organization brings value to the investor and to society. And I think a number of the very, very large funds and investment management groups are very, very cognizant of it. Finally, I would say geographically, I still believe that the demographics 
and the structural growth story in Asia with the rising middle class, these economies with their spending power are still going to be drivers and originators of capital, but also markets in which major global organizations are going to invest. So I think those three things uh, are going to be very, very important. Andrew, David, on behalf of our listeners, thanks again for your time today and for breaking down the business and financial impacts and investment trends you're seeing across the asset management industry and how best to navigate through this environment. For more information and resources on COVID-19, visit home.kpmg.com forward slash COVID-19 tax and legal. Join us again next time and please email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. And as always, we'd love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.